this is what that what the cowboys said to me lips are peckers and assholes they're all you're gonna meet along the way lips peckers and assholes society gets worse every single goddamn day hello and welcome to our podcast i call it the pure meat pure gold show aka the hot dog podcast that was the hot dog theme song i like to sing it myself a little handmade song and i've just spent several hours finishing my part two of my buchanan review which is now up it's now at uh i post all these things like my in our original language or i'm sorry original articles sticky thread in the general forum and then depending on whether it's a book review i posted in our original book reviews down in the book review section or if it's a movie review i post that in the movie review section or anywhere else it might be relevant like the column i do every monday that's up by noon central time every monday is on language and i discuss words particularly political flavored words words that are used as part of a leftist agitprop campaigns and i do that every monday and that's always posted two or three different places but everything i do will be posted in vnn original articles another sticky thread in there where i list what i'm going to be doing this week uh, so as long as I'm hopping and popping, that's what I'll do. I will do a podcast every Wednesday. I will do it on language every Monday. I'll supplement that with other things. Tomorrow I'm going on the Sonny Thomas show, SonnyThomas.com. He's, I gather, a, a CCC conservative type. So who knows what we'll talk about there. But uh, that will be tomorrow, 9 p.m. Go to his website and uh, check it out. And I've got uh, other stuff, other reviews I'm working on. But uh, right now, we'll do a little podcast and look at some stuff. We're going to start it off a little song I know some of you are familiar with and some of you want to hear. Here we go. There's Led Zeppelin. Oh, 
All right, that was Led Zeppelin, the immigrant song. I know a lot of people like that. You know, I had a thought, a stray thought about the Vikings. And this is this is something I thought, I thought about for you. I noticed it subconsciously, but I never really rose to full front burner status in my mind. I was like, you know, you see a fair number of representations of Vikings here and there through the years, and you really don't see them ever portrayed negatively. And that struck me as interesting because all we ever hear, the, the left's ideology is that whites are these uniquely evil, uniquely rapacious, rapacious marauders who go around the world and create colonies full of horrible things like indoor plumbing and toilets and streets. And they cruelly abuse the colored third world with these. And yet it struck me, we never hear such things said about the Vikings. And they were fairly rough where they landed. They created a town, I believe the town Dublin is actually a Viking name. I forget what it means originally, maybe Blackpool or something like that. I'm probably wrong. I know I've read it, but I don't recall it. But they created a lot of the towns in, in Ireland and other places where they where they landed. The Rus were, uh, the Rus comes from the Vikings, I believe. It's where you get people like Maria Sharapova. But uh, I think the reason that the Vikings get mostly good press to the extent they're talked about is that they limited their depredations to the white world. I know they made some incursions into Muslim areas, but for the main, they were they invaded Ireland, they invaded uh, Russia, other wider areas, and I think that's the reason. Maybe I'm wrong, maybe I'm totally off base, but I think that's the reason that they generally have... They're not historically bashed the way almost every other set of, of whites is particularly those who left Europe and went other places. That's my theory. I don't know. Feel free to respond in thread. But, uh, you know, they even... Uh, now, I've only seen part of one show, and I don't have TV now, so I have to download if I'm going to watch something. But I know one of those channels runs a series on Vikings and is now in season two. But uh, for myself, not interested in most TV, but I do like Bates Motel. It's entertaining. It's almost all just white characters, and it's kind of an extended, apart from being inherently interesting, it's the prequel to the story that uh, British director Hitchcock used in uh, Psycho. The woman and her son and their incestuous or their kind of twisted mother-son relationship run a hotel and it's kind of the, the back years with Farrah Farmiga and uh, Freddie, I think his name is Highmore. I believe he's a British actor. He, he and she are really excellent in it. So I would say I like that. And it's also, uh, to the extent there's any kind of political theme, it's not really political. It's more personal as we're whites and we're men, as I like to say many times and emphasize that just as communism is a distortion of collectivism and libertarianism is a, is a distortion of individualism, we are both whites and men. And so to the extent this show has meaning beyond entertainment to a white man, it would be what, what, what is the nature and, and grounds and extended scope of loyalty? And that's dramatized in this show. And uh, 
But, you know, William F. Buckley used to say there's nothing so tedious as the man to whom everything is political. But then again, it, it was also said of William F. Buckley that uh, he really hated talking politics with people, I, even though that was his whole professional thing on Firing Line and in his, obviously, his life dedication to his magazine. He didn't like talking about politics. He liked talking about sailing and stuff. Why is that? I think it's because he knew that he was a sellout and he was very uncomfortable because when you argue seriously... Uh, <laughs> These things tend to come out. Say, well, why are you why are you putting Israel ahead of the U.S.? Say, if you're arguing with a serious man, a serious man capable of penetrating insight like the late Joe Sobrin. Well, gee, Bill, you say that you adhere to this philosophy. These are its main tenets, yet you won't apply them to Israel. And it seems that you have a conflicting personal interest in placating or appeasing these, these Jews that you pal around with in New York. That's why someone like Buckley might not be so interested in discussing politics. Anyway, those are just some thoughts. And I, why don't I go into some other stuff I've been thinking about all morning? It's funny. I find is the older I get, earlier I go to bed before noon, the better I, or before midnight, the better I sleep, the earlier I can get up well before dawn and get the best work done from, say, 5 a.m. till about 11 a.m., and then do the lighter stuff in the afternoon. That seems to be a pattern that works really well. And I don't think it's just me. It may be something mammalian or something that even pertains to uh, whites as they enter the second half of their lives because uh, I've seen a lot of other people say that that pattern works really well for them. And there's nothing nicer than in the nice months to get up early before dawn and then let dawn slowly creep in and slowly you might start to hear a car or two as people gear up to go to work. But if, you know, you get up like, and and the older you get, you don't really quite sleep as much. I don't. I used to sleep, I suppose, just ordinary eight hours. I was never a person who needed more than that or or less than that. But you know, it starts to slack off a little. Where you know five, six, seven hours, and then sleep a little more every third or fourth day versus having to get eight hours. So you know, you go to sleep at nine and get up three thirty, four, feel really good. Whereas if you stay up till 2 a.m. or something, you don't feel as good as when you wake up. The sleep you get after midnight is always worse quality than the sleep before. I'm pretty sure that's true. Perhaps having something to do with deep REM cycles. I don't know. Uh, my point is I was writing a part two of my Buchanan review of his book from 10 years ago, which is, <laughs> it's almost hilarious how little has changed. He wrote this book in 2004, Where the Right Went Wrong, which might even be more or less of a reprise of similar stuff he was writing 30 years ago. But in any case, moving 10 years forward from 2004 to 2014, as I speak today here in show number four of the Pure Meat, Pure Gold show, we're recording this on April 9th, 2014. Everything he said in the 2004 book fits what's going on today. He spends about half the book talking about foreign warmongering, and I do not go into that at all in the review. The first part of my review is mostly about him, the man, and professional conservatism. It was kind of a reprise of some of the themes I have in Attack the Conservatives, which was based on attacking him and, and using him, using them, using them the way they use us with their coded racial arguments, the way he advised the Republican Party to basically rip off Duke's talking points and thereby undermine him never make it's as i've said it's directly analogous to some girl you would sleep with for fun but not marry you get something off of it and she gets nothing and that's how the right wing likes to treat whites 
whites must demand more. And the theme I emphasize and, and really go into, and this is, hey, you know, you're going to get, you're treated the way that you allow others to treat you. You tear, as Oprah would say, you teach others how to treat you, you know, by your behavior and reaction. If you tolerate being treated like some cheap slut, that's what you're going to get. You're fawning, idiotic, grinning, grinning at these people who are, who are professionals at what they do. They may not be honest, consistent, or principled, or courageous, but they're damn good at what they do as professional mulcters, charlatans, wallet egress finders. Ingress, I should say, not egress. Egress is leaving. Ingress is. You may remember that famous joke. If it's that famous, I shouldn't be telling it, should I? Because I'm not here to supply shit you can find elsewhere. I'm here to supply shit you can't find elsewhere. Supposedly, P.T. Barnum, who was the, the showman who said there's a sucker born every minute, had a sign that he, he would create like sideshows and you know, 50 cents a gander, that type of thing. He would have a sign saying, this way to the egress, relying on his client base not to know that egress was a more unusual word for exit. How can you not love a man like that? Sheep are made for shearing, as other people have said. Leaving that aside, anyway, so in part two, I spent oh, several more thousand words really going into the way one small section of Buchanan's book, but I think the most significant one to us white nationalists, which is the use of the court and the judiciary system to affect a social, cultural, political revolution, whatever you want to call it. And really, the way I was taught by, uh, I think it was Tyrrell mentioned to me, the way you understand history, you got to get the spine of the dates down first, and then you can hang all the other bits of knowledge you know on that tree or that spine. And the thing to know with the Constitution relation of the white cause is the Supreme Court simply arrogated, that is, seized or usurped illegally without written warrant, the right to ultimate judicial review which is essentially dictatorial power over whether congressional actions are constitutional. But there is, as I say, there's no paper charter for this. It's not written in there. It's expressly against what the founders wanted. The founders had all three branches. None of them were given final review of anything or final authority to determine what is constitutional and what is a goes beyond the Constitution, i.e. is illegal. So the Supreme Court tried to seize that in 1803. <laughs> and back then, men would fight over stuff. As uh, Andrew Jackson said in relation to a comparatively minor manner in, I believe, Georgia, something about Indians and mining rights, he said, John Marshall has made his decision. Let him enforce it. You see... And so this could have been, although the Supreme Court, as I said, arrogated this right in 1803 and were backed by some and opposed by others like Jefferson, it really came to a head in the 20th century in the Warren Court ruling in Brown versus Board of Education where they just said segregation had been legal for 58 years. It was just the constitutional right of free association. They basically said, no, you can't do that. We, the Supreme Court, are going to dictate that you have to race mix your schools just because we say so. And to show how little they cared for their reasoning or their, the actual legal basis of their decision, they pointed to some sociologist study with dolls 
all this is fairly well known if you haven't heard of it it's it's written about and the point is almost to reinforce we are doing this as as a simple dictatorship over you we're telling you what to do you're going to do it and eisenhower could have done what andrew jackson did and said you've made your ruling now try to enforce it and the court well what's the court going to do the court's a bunch of old people with no energy left they're not going to do jack shit unless they have someone to ex- execute the stuff through and eisenhower grumbled and fumed but went along and he sent the national guard down there to various southern states when this thing popped up and forced them to integrate their schools and then after that we follow buchanan list you know the other it's really only about a half dozen major cases where they uh where they enforced discrimination against whites and typically using they they use the language of equality or equal opportunity but the reality of anti-white discrimination so instead of whites using free association to protect themselves their rights their neighborhoods and and blacks still had the same for themselves what they've done is end free association which is a constitutionally guaranteed right replace it with anti-white discrimination that's called legal equality and then you get into the various being a leftist they have no trouble saying things like it was necessary to destroy the village in order to save it the the legal racial equivalent of that in order to get past racism we have to be racist or in order to achieve racial equality we have to discriminate against whites you see they have no problem with that kind of reasoning at all indeed if you read leftist sites regularly as I do half of their mental manpower hours are wasted trying to say that when you do something it's bad and when they do it it's good or the, the same exact action is bad when you do it they, they, it's just complete justification of a double standard that's always anti-white and of course they have to spend tremendous energy most typical would be racial discrimination or racism so now if a black does something well that's not racism because racism is the the distinction they attempt to erect and maintain is racism you need institutional power you say okay well first of all that's laughable that's your first response but second of all if you were actually serious we could observe that all these anti-white laws are coming from the highest court in the land and from the federal bureaucracy judiciary and and how can you possibly well it doesn't even rise to the level they're dealing with how can you say that whites have institutional power when all these laws are overtly racially discriminating against whites but of course they wouldn't be leftist if they acted morally and followed the law they're leftists because they have a minority position that can't win democratically and must use extra legal power to have its way and Buchanan's point is that well what you have now is a congress that is basically abdicated congress is supposed to be the number one branch of the government you know the three part the division of power the three parts congress executive judicial the judicial is supposed to be the mildest least significant part it has no real power congress has the power to mint money to start wars to approve treaties all that good stuff that you associate with uh with the government and they don't want to do it why don't they want to do it because it's such a cushy job now to be part of congress that they want to be reelected. 
and the way you don't get reelected, it's almost impossible, but the way you don't get reelected is by taking hard stands on difficult issues that divide the public. Because if 50% of the public's on the side you don't oppose, you've lost a bunch of votes. So what they like to do is just mouth off about stuff and let the hard decisions be made by the ideologues on the Supreme Court or some other court or some unelected permanent bureaucrat member, member of the bureaucracy, pawn it off on them, and then they can whine about it endlessly. They have a campaign issue they can use to rile the dumb people up. This works really well with the right to life and that kind of stuff. And they can keep their job, and they, they, they don't have any accountability. So they have the legal authority, indeed the responsibility, the duty. This is why we have a Congress and a representatives and elected a democratic representative gov- republic, democratic republic. The people vote for representatives who supposedly go to Congress and then we, we figure out what, what the majority wants to do and we do it. That's a theory, but in reality, it's somewhat different and it's it's evolved. And Buchanan says the they've really thrown away or abdicated the last 50 years pretty much since World War II and they've let these uh, these minority permanent judges and permanent members of the state bureaucracy make the hard decisions and he makes a good case for it but in my review I we, we track the anti-white legal rulings and just look at how the how the courts have been used and their effrontery their usurpations and how ultimately the only thing that has ever kept judges in check is physical fear the fear that there will be retribution from men who demanding they follow the law otherwise they're kings and can get away with it and today not facing that physical pressure backed by the media they feel free to do or say a damn near anything they want they don't they don't feel any need to follow the law they prefer to be all-stars or rock stars and make their own law. And like I've said probably before, the, I've only been to one law school graduation, but the, the main speaker was a woman who was head of the state Supreme Court and famously associated with a ruling that I believe equalized tax monies across all districts, you know, including the white, rich suburban districts and the poor Mexican districts. And she said in almost as many words... It doesn't matter what the law says. Follow your heart and do what you think is right. And that's this is what she's saying to uh, graduating lawyers. Well, what's the point in having a law if, if the judge is simply going to do whatever the hell he wants? If there's some serious problem in society, that's up to the elected legislators to deal with on the principle of subsidiarity, the, that the feds deal with what is specifically portion of them in the Constitution. The Constitution was hashed out between 13 different states made up of different types of people with different concerns and it wasn't some fucking delivered from God thing like these these idiot patriotards think. It was kind of a hammered out compromise. Now granted it's put in eloquent language because these were intelligent men and they knew this was going to be a permanent doctrine document but that doesn't mean that it wasn't a compromise and so result of a so the, the little people who can't think, they're not writers. They don't think about... To, to them, it's just another fetish thing, like the Bible or something. It's just like, it's hallowed for whatever reason. And they can't see it as any kind of a real working document or compromise. And so they have, they have faith in that it has some magic power above and beyond the disposal of men to, to the disposition of men to follow what it plainly says. 
But knowing that people are the way they are, which you would think these religious mopes ought to know because it's a, it's a doctrine that Christianity does teach, uh, original sin. People aren't particularly disposed to do anything other than what the hell they want to do unless there's some check on their, their impulse. And that check sure isn't going to come from the media because as the courts pursue an agenda, the media always backs it when it's extra legal, as long as it's pushing the agenda, as I call it, capital letters, the leftist Jewish anti-white agenda, whatever you want to call it, always has media backing. In the 19th century, they used to drag judges out of bed and if not kill them, at least persuade them to do the right thing, i.e. follow the law. And the left will always play this when it admits that it happened as, oh, these evil redneck rube reactionaries, you know, dragging these innocent niggers out of jail and killing them or judges. Uh, but the, the reality is judges back then had less power. They had more accountability to the people. And until that situation is restored, they will continue to make it up as they go along they'll come up with new leftist interpretations new anti-white interpretations with the full backing of the jew controlled media and as craig cobb and i discovered when we investigated the top law schools from which all the others take their bearing are completely dominated by jews so what we get we're only going to get more of it doesn't matter what the white majority wants the white majority is dwindling anyway you can see where it all leads i mean South Africa today is more than 90% black, or at least non-white, and they have affirmative action there. They call it Black Economic Empowerment, B. I don't know if they say B. I guess they do. B. Maybe they say B-E-E. I've never heard anyone say it, but Black Economic Empowerment. So if whites were even a 1% majority, they would still be discriminated against, harassed, reviled in the media, and, and legally made into third-class citizens. So know that. That's the future unless we do something about it or some outside force intervenes, which I really don't think is going to happen somehow. Anyway, anyway, that's what I've been spending my morning writing and uh, thinking about. And I got a, several thousand words put together and uh, posted, and that will be part two. So I'd already written several thousand words in part one about Buchanan. I think everyone could benefit from reading that. I believe fully in attacking the conservatives. We need to separate white nationalism from conservatism. No matter how much intellectual overlap there is or how much uh, ordinary white normality overlap there is politically, we need radical dynamism. We don't need the smug people. I posted yesterday, I made a thread that I took from uh, one of the PaleoCon journals, and there's there's a uh, they're having a conference, and they had some article about it, an upcoming conference, and they have a a banner on their page discussing this uh, conference and what people wanted, and the, and it just is an absolutely perfect, perfect artistic depiction of the bourgeois, smug upper middle class. I really love myself. I'm really satisfied with myself mentality. And the guy's holding a drink and you can just see him thinking, I am quite the figure cutter. I am quite the debonair dresser. I am quite the wit. You know, and that ain't revolutionary. Those are people who are selfish. They're protecting their own interests. Those are what white nationalists need to get away from. We do need their level of intelligence. They are intelligent. They are fairly refined people, but they're not going to put anything in the line. 
It's all about them. That's why I mock them slash accurately describe them as career girls. White nationalism and racial radicalism are something completely different. We need standards as high as we can possibly get them. But we need dynamic, energetic people who are not smug. They may be arrogant. I'd hate to defend myself against charges of arrogance. They may be elitist. I wouldn't defend myself against charges of being elitist. But they can't be smug and self-satisfied like that. That does not go with genuine, serious, radical politics. Any serious person is not self-satisfied. They're self-critical. They're looking at someone better than them, and they're amazed and delighted, and they try to drag themselves up higher by that example. They don't just look down at people and be a little pick-sniffy critical of them. The base of the pyramid is always going to be scummy, dirty, not getting it, and sloppy. You know That's not going to go away because you, you backbite on it. Concentrate on doing the best work you can. We have a great cause, a glorious cause, a cause worth putting your life into, worth putting money into, worth putting time into, worth thinking about and participating in. Let's, let's not undersell ourselves or our seriousness or what we're doing or what we can do. I, I don't see anything more important. That's why I put my life into it. And be this smug asshole and go go listen to some moron talk about IQ differences like someone doesn't know that instinctively even if they don't know it intellectually and if you do know it intellectually who freaking cares some people are smarter than oh, yeah that's true that's really true some people can jump higher than others some people can run faster than them who fucking cares I mean it's a it's a minor comparatively minor technical problem compared to the more interesting political question and I maintain again basically alone that attacking the conservatives is the right way to go attack them drive them from the field polarize what we want ultimately what we're going for is white sovereignty of course that's that's our north that's our white north star we want a white sovereign nation where whites control it whites means completely non-jews no muds in the country no jews in the country to get there what we need to do is polarize the public that sees nothing but republican democrat liberal conservative those are the only frames that are known we need to replace that with white versus jew team white versus team jew that's a theme i really push if you follow me on twitter at alex linder five wish you would do come along enjoy my tweets i can make better epigrams than basically anybody in the world as far as i'm concerned i mean i don't i don't see my equal out there maybe there is someone out there there's a few comedians who are pretty funny but there's anyone making epigrams on the right wing side that are wittier in both sense of the word than mine, I sure as hell don't see it. I don't believe it exists. Sobern was decent, but whatever. But see, I say that. You might say that's arrogance. I don't even think it's arrogance. I think it's just factually true. And I've, I've read more and can quote more than basically anyone I know. I mean, maybe some PhDs can, but I, even there, I'm not necessarily sure that's true either. They've read more than I have, but I've read a hell of a lot, and I remember a hell of a lot. And I can drag up the relevant quote a hell of a lot. <sighs> Point is, I'm not smug and self-satisfied. I, I honestly believe that, and I think it's important. We need to say what we say directly, clearly, and we need to put it in the most memorable terms possible. When it comes to politics, keep it simple, stupid. Simplify it. Polarize it. What well, works? Buchanan said, rising movements are intolerant. You see... The homos who are getting all this marriage, and again, this relates to what I was saying earlier about Buchanan, the homos who are getting this queer marriage stuff passed are completely intolerant. They don't tolerate any other view. 
So we see Brendan Eich, the head of a, a Fortune 500 company, I think, or at least a very large company, Mozilla. Uh, he donated $1,000 to some anti-queer marriage deal, and that alone is enough to force him out as head of a, of a CEO of a, of a Fortune 500 company. I don't think he's a Jew either. I'm not sure. Name Brendan's not really Jew. Ike could be German or it could be Jewish, but I'm guessing the name Brendan, he's probably not a Jew. Anyway, this, those, those, this is how it is. Because these, these queers are organized, fanatical, and intolerant, they are able to ride herd on the 90% plus Christian, weak, timid, stupid, unaggressive, docile, sheep-like majority. That's, that's reality. That's how it works. Whites have to become more aggressive, more disciplined, more fanatical, more organized. We don't get there by traveling down south. We get there by traveling up north where there's more people like that. That's part of the irony. And the difficulty of our cause is that the people who agree with us most about the end state we want tend to be in the south for historical reasons. Yet the people with a character... The, the skill set, I kind of don't like that phrase, but I'll use it. It fits. People with the personality traits and the skill sets we need are found far more often in the north and even among the left than in the right wing south. And again, I wrote about this at length in a piece on strategy. I, I wrote it informally as a response post in my forum, vnnforum.com. I'm shaping that up later today. And it will be it will be a formal article and it will be posted. It's already up right now, but I want to I want to shape it just a little, shape it into a formal article. Basically, the writing and the thinking is done, and it is a little bit open ended. It's just various thoughts I've had as I've gotten into uh, reading minimalist stuff. That's kind of a philosophy that's in line with how I've always lived my life since I was never interested in goods or things I, I never wanted like I never had any urge to buy something or own something or or these people at the minimalist they had that urge they, they may have to do with growing up poor I didn't grow up poor so I my my parents were not in any way materialist or wanting a bunch of stuff but we always had you know if we needed something we had it we didn't have a lot of toys compared to other people or or a lot of material goods or or fancy stuff but none of us really overly thought about that stuff anyway but yet if we grew up poor we might have thought more that way and the, these guys who grew up who called themselves a minimalist did grow up poor at least one of them and then they became rich and now they're headed back down to becoming minimalist and it's interesting to see how they how quickly these people in the north move compared to the, I would say the more hidebound religious conservative southerners who are kind of happy they're they're comfortable in their skin and maybe for revolutions, you need people who are not just lean and hungry, as Shakespeare said, but maybe who aren't so comfortable in their skin. I think I qualify there. I'm not denying I got a little bit of a tendency to neurasthenia, which is a wonderful word I've only really ever seen used. I think Poe used it in the House of Usher. I'm not saying I'm like that. I'm saying with high intelligence often comes a certain prickliness or a certain... It's almost literally like people whose minds notice more things. It's like their skin is more easily bothered by things. That's probably not true, but it's true in my case. Anyway, in the House of Usher, he kind of mentions them. 
travel through the whole of his singularly dreary tract of land. Then he arrives at the house of house of Usher, and the guy is like a neurasthenic who's basically kind of walled off in dark rooms because every little tiny thing bugs him. I'm not saying you need people like that. I'm saying you need people who are more observant, noticient. It's not a word, but you know what? If I use it, it is a word. It is a word. More noticient. No, it's kind of like combines a sens- noticing plus sentience, right? More noticient of what's going on. They don't just see the big gross spiders. They see the little tiny spiders. I don't say that as someone who's anti-spider. I'm really not anti. I'm actually pro-spider for the most part. Compared to crickets, certainly. Before I get distracted, though, what I'm trying to say is you need you need a quicker-moving type. You see this quicker-moving type among the minimalists, and they go from, from nothing, poor, to managing a bunch of stores, making a bunch of money, to realizing, hey, this isn't really what I want to do, to downsizing their life, to where they only have a few dozen possessions, and... Um, they get a hell of a lot done and they're happier and they're healthier. And I can't help but think, gee, this really shows not only the movement of this more of this northern type that the not so much the southerners love to mock, but the the Catholics, oh, you're being productive. Are you getting close to being like as good as a really shittily functioning machine? That's awesome, man. Because that's the point of life. Being productive, man. Being more productive. Self and they love to mock that, but yet. I don't see that it's that mockable. I mean, I come from that background. What you can say about the North is it's generally the, the flat-mindedness of the egalitarian worldview is, is what does make it deeply ridiculous in a way that too many of those Northerners simply can't grasp. You see this most noticeably in feminism, where, they, where they, these women literally cannot grasp that... I struggle for an analogy. It's like... You're in some place that's really safe and warm and nice, and you're bitching about it, and you have no freaking conception of where you would even be if this thing didn't exist. You see, and that that's what they're complaining about about men and about oh, we're there there's not enough women in X, Y, or Z industry. They don't seem to grasp like look look, sweetie. The computer industry exists because some dude, and it was always a dude, and it was a white dude spent fucking 900 million hours in a row working in his garage to figure out how to fit all this shit together. And then you little cunt trots along, oh, there's not enough women in, in working in software. You, you don't get it. You need to show an immense amount of gratitude before you can even think about criticizing one little tiny thing. And that's why I say, that's why I read The Feminist, so I can feel, I can generate within my breast a great, uh, uh, a gratitude that doesn't come particularly easy. I don't think in anyone. It doesn't come that quickly in me. I think people should basically just do what they do and bad stuff happens to everyone. I don't really feel sorry for them or me or anyone or anyone else. Gratitude is not all that natural of a feeling and thus we have to stimulate it because it is necessary. It's kind of a counterpart to the way you need to lubricate life with songs and with music and with love so that it's not just this fucking cranking rocks grinding against each other just you know dry metal trying to it's like god damn your car can't operate with oil people can't operate without a certain musical element and that is why we're gonna listen to this song right now it's cause I like it
That was Patty Smythe and Scandal right at the 45 minute mark. Now, I did have an agenda. I did have a shopping agenda, as Ben Affleck says, and clerks. I wanted to talk about that uh, Pat Buchanan judicial stuff. But uh, let's look at it. Let's look at what I was going to talk about. We'll go a little longer, maybe another 15 minutes. This is a story I came across the other day, and it concerned one of the a class of people that I truly cannot stand. It's not a race, it's not an ethnic group. It's college professors. No, not, 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 no, I take that back. It's not college professors. It's college administrators. These are the lowest scum on the face of the earth. And this is a story. It's gotten some play in the media. It's about this student at Yale who is, uh, weighs 92 pounds. And these stupid assholes won't accept that even though she's healthy there's something wrong with her so they're trying to get her to eat and they're making all kinds of threats against her career now she's like a Chinese so she's probably taking some white person's place but either way that's not the point of this okay so there's a picture of her she's grinning obviously one of those mild oriental types Yale University junior Francis Chan has spent months battling with the university over her weight so here's what it is and the theme here we're trying to bring out is people's undue faith in authority in all forms and the observation I've made I don't know maybe someone else has made it I don't really ever recall reading it but people generally have religious faith either in Jesus or some other cult or in government and regulation both faiths are completely unfounded and a tribute really to the just the intellectual poverty of our pathetic species I gotta say Judge not lest ye be... Oh, I'm going to judge, buddy. You better believe I'm going to judge. Judge everything at all times, says Jesus Al. That's me. Maybe I should be Al Jesus. But... That's why people love God so much. Because any any jackass can put words in God's mouth. You know, I, I never debate the Bible with people. 
I simply reject it. I never accept. The minute you debate the Bible, you get into, well, X, Y, and Z million Christians may be doing this and that bad, but they're not real Christians. Real, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. every true Scotsman, yeah, okay. Every Christian thinks it's doing the right thing. They, they, oh, you, so you know what a real Christian is, but the Pope doesn't. That's really cool, man. And this Pope says this is it, and that Pope says something else. Well, they're both God's rep on it. Well, yeah, they're God's vicar on earth. That's true. <laughs> on this rock. <laughs> what kind of a rock? Well, it's sandstone, okay? Rock sounded a little better. That's why Jesus said that. Point is, you got one Pope one year saying one thing. You got another Pope another year saying another thing. You can't take that seriously unless you're a clown, and I'm not a clown. I don't take it seriously. There's a million Christians, and the reason people love that game is anyone can put words in God's mouth. Anyone can claim that God gave them a revelation. Here, I actually do have something else to say. I will get it going either today. I'm, I'm slow. I'm building up. I'm building up. Whenever I say I'm going to do something, even if I don't do it when I do it, it's percolating and gestating in me. I'm thinking about it continually. And the thing that I'm going to do is create, I already created it, but I didn't fill it yet, an epiphanies thread. And I maintain there's going to be some good value to this thread when we get people's collected experience. If we can get people to understand what is meant by an epiphany, it's something midway between a non-existent revelation. I don't believe they exist. And between an ordinary workaday mundane insight it's an insight, but it's like a super insight. It's like a 250-watt bulb compared to like a 40-watt bulb or something. You see? It's something that it's not, it, it's kind of like, it's like a class, a new class or something. It's on a, or maybe it's on a different level. I'd have to think about how to best express it. I'm not really sure, but it's more than just one insight. It's like, it's like a floodlight opening up in your mind and showing you a whole new area that you hadn't realized was even there before or a whole new connection and I, I really treasure you only get a handful of epiphanies in your life and you should treasure them at least that's how it seems to me I've had a number of great ideas in my life and about as many epiphanies they're not related they're two very different things but the fates fortune god whatever it is which safe is which safe's comparatively few and so they're valuable, like morel mushrooms or something <clears throat> that only grow under certain conditions. Although we don't know what the conditions of epiphanies are. They just, that's the nature of, of the kind of inspiration or, or they kind of spring up in our mind unbidden, perhaps caused by the circumstance we never could have seen. After all, we're all alive for the first time and we only get a limited amount of experience and things sometimes will, uh, will happen that, that, we go, wow, I never thought of it that way. I never saw it that way. I never realized that. No matter how much, we, even if we spend all day thinking, we won't realize a lot of things. They have to kind of occur to us, happen to us, and then occur to us. Anyway, so this this just, you know, okay, my, my bias has always been very strongly against college administrators since I was in college. And the reason I don't like them is they were punk-ass bitches in dealing with me. I was writing these editorials as a conservative individualist, not a racialist, and I started getting a little into like I made fun of the term 
of color, which was then first coming into vogue. You know, instead of colored people or blacks or arboreal Americans, African Americans, whatever, they were using of color. It was first coming in. I wrote a column kind of mocking it. Just a very, very faint prototype of what you might see me write on on VNN today because I was much more earnest, stick-up-the-assy, straight-laced back then. I didn't really try to fly or get wild. As that was the first time I was writing stuff for actual publication, and I pretty much played it straight, but the incipient desire to mock things as the best way to explain and explode them was in me. It was just, it wasn't even larval. It was just in seed form almost. And I've, I have posted these under my college writing in the showcase thread. I've posted all the, my college writings I could find. There's a couple missing, but they're pretty much all there. Mildly interesting, I suppose, to some, but uh, it's kind of interesting to review one's own life and see the development. And I had never really done that in the, mostly because these papers were all packed away and I, I dragged them out when I found them. And, uh, Eventually, I'm going to expand that, and I'll, I'll give you a whole slice of life of what college was like in the mid-'80s because it has a broader meaning than just simply my own bibliographical background of this is everything I wrote in chronological order. But you could see, you, when, I, when I get it, eventually get a scanner and scan in some of these papers. You'll see what people were all talking about back then, and it just give you a good flavor of college life in the 1980s, mid-1980s. It's just a little aside there. But anyway, so I wrote these columns and I got a lot of response. A lot of it was almost entirely negative, but it was a huge response. And some of the strongest, the ones who hated me were basically the coloreds, the Jews, and the homosexuals because I was writing stuff they didn't want to read about AIDS and how it was acquired. And I was extremely bald. I always thought bald is beautiful, just to straight directly, because there's a reason. There's a reason you don't see the two dudes on Will and Grace butt-fucking each other. People don't really like that. They don't want to see a dick going into a, a rectum or an asshole. They don't want to see that. They want to think, oh, they make all these little witty things and they have girlfriends and they dance around. So, I'm not bothered by being the turd and the, the high-minded, beautiful-minded, wasp-elite punch bowl. I want to be that turd. I am that turd. You need that turd in that punch bowl. And that turd was me. And what really irritated me, what irritates me is in this world, you need to be a counterweight to the mob of idiots. And let me tell you, even in a room or an auditorium full of high IQ people, you're still mostly dealing with idiots. Okay. High IQ doesn't mean you're dumb. It means you're it means you're dumb in a smart way or you're you're high IQ dumb instead of low IQ dumb. You're still dumb though. <sighs> you have no doubt about that. And so what you need in a college dean professor, you need people who are willing to to stand up for something valuable like some conservative individuals like me. It was a perfect chance to prove their words about how Oh, we like to challenge people here at Pomona. We want, we want to stretch ourselves. And oh, they got some new thing now. I was messing with them the other day. I forget what challenging minds, you know, some some crap like that. And of course, the minute you offer anything that's off their their freaking wasp, high minded elite, Peace Corps, New World Order, Universalist, Man of the World plantation, 
why they're they're paying dog the bounty hunter to come and thump you on the noggin kick your ass till you're back in line that's how they feel about it they're totally down with dread scott <clears throat> you're their slave bitch no matter where you wander your 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 job is to serve them and they're what wasps think of as quality thinking and high ideals and as i said beautiful i i totally mock this in the piece about hagedorn you can find in my index she was this professor there who i didn't know her I recall the name, though. or Maybe it was a different broad named Hagedorn, but I think it was her. And she was into, uh, she became, literally became a Santeria priestess. This woman from, the, I don't think she was even a Jew. I suspect Hagedorn, German, one of these German pious types, got it, really interested in third world, uh, third world stuff and became literally a Santeria priestess. That was what she said. Okay, that's groovy. So she's teaching music to all these people. So they had an obituary and I mocked her and, you just see the comments from this this class of people and I'm telling you a lot of you listening to this will not have had an experience with these people but they are obsessed with pardon my nose for running I'm getting a little like my eyes are getting a little itchy but uh you know, the waspily gets very obsessed with their beautiful mind and their high mindedness and what great people we are and they they have to sustain this cultic attitude they by basically only being around other people who are like them and that's why they're, they're such witch hunters because so much of what they believe it requires so much suspension of disbelief and ignoring of evidence that it, it's simply too painful to be around someone who doesn't share their their basic assumptions and says well Jesus, man, those niggers you liberate are really making a shithole of most of our major cities. Do you feel a little bad about, you know, what you've done? A little? Because they, along with the Jews, are plenty guilty of it. Like, hey, are you ever going to, you know, you, you give the fucking reality loop a, a vasectomy so that no, no genuine insights can ever breed, you know? It's all wasted. You just keep pouring your empty sperm. I, I'm probably losing the metaphor here, but you keep pouring trillions and trillions of dollars into feeding and subsidizing these niggers and they never get any better you're just making white people more pissed off and worse off financially you know you think of Fred Reed in that connection he just thinks they're just trying to keep the lid on but I'm telling you these people they will do anything to preserve this idea they have of themselves as these wonderful high minded people who are super refined and they're not at all like those evil rednecks or racist. They are men of the world. They're not American citizens. They're men of the world. The world is their, not their oyster. That that has a different connotation. The world is kind of their little traveling about and collecting experiences planet, you know. And and they're gonna they're gonna help people. And helping means doing. It, 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 I've made this comparison before. It's just like women believe safe driving means driving slowly or jumping on the brake, as opposed to like being an engaged part of an ongoing reactive driving community yeah you know they love the word community we're, we're all on this on this highway together we have to mutually interact and react to whatever circumstances pop up and that's what safety means is, is being staying engaged and, and doing what you need to do to you know keep your part of the safety going to preserve the safety and but 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 no they have I'm doing good I'm helping these little niggers in Uslania supply themselves with running water because they're not capable of doing it themselves. Well, that sounds like a really great idea. 
All right, I'm I'm going down to Haiti to fix some of these fucked up little niggers' split pallets. Ah, okay, all right, great. Why do you have to act like you're so mighty and high-minded about it? Do you know how Haiti got to be the way it is? They don't want to hear any of that. It's just totally divorced from any kind of real-world consequences. And this is what I mentioned before about Elijah Lovejoy, to whom there's a statue of free speech dedicated in Southern Illinois. God and morality demand the imminent release of the nigger. Nigger slave. He must be manumitted from bondage. He must be released from bondage to the evil plantation owners. Okay, what's what's the, what, what? Okay, Elijah, what, what what do you suppose that nigger's going to do when you let him go? You know, are you going to build an advanced civilization? Is that what you think, Elijah? You think right here in the banks of the mighty Mississippi, he's going to build a, a fucking new Egypt? Is that what you? Well, it doesn't matter what I think. Morality demands it. Morality demands. Well, I don't know, man. Maybe you should get a new morality. So we're going to bust your press and we're going to lynch you and we're not going to let niggers build in East St. Louis and our formerly unfailed state of Illinois or our beautiful show me state of Missouri. But you know what? Our side won, but his side won the war. Our side won the battle. His side won the war. He wound up dead. His printing press was destroyed, but his side won the war. And today East St. Louis does exist. And one must assume going by the way Elijah Lovejoy looked at it, that that's what God wanted. God God is a big fan of East St. Louis. God created the nigger. He can hardly mind what the nigger creates. The nigger is a reflection of God. Imagine the poverty of a mind that believes in a God that creates niggers. I mean, well, he, works in mysteri- he works in mysterious ways. Mysterious, shoddy ways, I think you'd, ha- you'd have to say. But these people don't have the spirit of a freaking ant colony. Yeah, you know, they're they're high spirited. They're they're college administrators are the lowest form of scum on earth. Barn, they're not even they're not even up to the level of Mexicans. They're so bad. That's my bias. Anyway, you know, going in. So I saw the story. I'm like, I got to talk about this. And. uh yeah, so this skinny Asian broad, okay, you know, she's skinny. She's obviously, like, not not a real aggressive type. You can see from her smiling, she's <laughs> she's a thin, probably real smart Asian broad who weighs 92 pounds. Like, that's a fucking crime. She committed the play crime of only weighing 92 pounds, and that's a crime in all civilized lands. It can't ever be that she's, like, totally healthy, and that's just her genetic stock that's super thin like that, and, hey, let's not worry about it since she's not presenting with any health problems. Maybe she's okay. No, we can't think that because we have a chart that comes from whatever bureaucratic god creates those things. Probably the same idiot that created the bogus food pyramid, if you know about that scam, where you're supposed to eat nothing but, like, carbs and grains, the very worst stuff you can eat and not eat good stuff like red meat. So that that problem, same same complex, that same bureaucratic industrial complex probably brought us the body mass index that most professional athletes and this scrawny Chinese broad fall afoul of. And, you know, if it was you or me, I, I, I probably you and me would say, hey, how about you go fuck yourself? 
I feel healthy. I don't need your advice or your commands about what I should eat to weigh amount to satisfy something in your fucking chart. Happier than I am. Go fuck yourself. Yeah. Now, you and I don't have any problems saying that, but if you're a shrimpy little 92-pound Chinese chick, you know, they're not the most intimidating type creature. So even though they're at Yale and you'd think they'd be a little bit able to verbalize their objections, they're, they're, you know, they might be shamed a little or they might be a little scared. Because some of those administrators can be pretty twattish. But, uh... Alright, so this chick is 5'2". Chan is 5'2 and 92 pounds. She's not a heifer by any means. She's contended that she's always been very thin, as were her parents. and Oh, her parents and grandparents. So she comes from a long line of thin Chinese people. Okay, that's not really a crime. Yet until Friday, Yale had been telling Chan she might be forced to leave the school if she didn't put on something. This is, these people are such utter jackasses who run colleges. It really is. And you're paying, she's paying like $60,000. And these assholes are basically saying, if you don't eat more and weigh more, we're going to kick you off because you fall afoul of some number on our chart. Even though you're totally healthy and don't have any health problems and aren't costing us a friggin' penny, that's what we're going to do to you. And this is what people are paying tens of tens of thousands of dollars a year for this kind of crap all right so chance battle over her weight began last year in september she went to smilo cancer hospital at yale new haven to have a breast lump checked the lump was benign but the visit led yale health to take a closer look at chan's overall health since December, Chan has had multiple medical appointments and a mandatory weigh. Mandatory weigh as they're fucking like, they like gang pressed her into a Jenny, Jenny Chan Craig thing where she's like forced to gain weight. She met with a nutritionist and a mental health counselor. Oh, see, so she must be crazy because she weighs 92 pounds, even though she's totally healthy and doesn't have a problem other than like, hey, check out this lump in my breast. Okay, it's not care. Okay, well, then I don't have a problem. Oh, you have a problem. You know, that's really going to encourage people to freaking come in. They're always like, oh, it's better to have an ounce of prevention than a pound of cure. You got to early screen for you screen for shit and they come in. And there's some other reason they, they force you to come back and they start questioning your mental health. I mean. In this world, there's so many people whose asses need to be kicked and they never get kicked. It just disgusts you. Uh yeah, yeah, and they're saying helpful things to her. Okay, so, so she met with a nutritionist. Yeah, we're, we'd also like you to see a mental health practitioner, just you know, just in case there's any issues that are coming up that are getting between you and the next gulp of delicious rice or whatever it is you eat. I, I don't know. I don't know. And. and she said a nurse told her at one point that her low weight would kill her if she didn't. Oh, that's not fucking drama, Queenie. You know, and here I'm going to say something I've said before. And I'm feeling kind of high and mighty for my own personal reasons related to taking command of my own health. And I feel somewhat beating, dominating the scene, as I encourage everybody to do, because ultimately you're responsible for everything, not not your freaking doctor. Half your doc doctors are a bunch of idiots like everybody else. They may know some things, maybe they don't. They may listen to you, maybe they don't. Most doctors are extremely tired whenever you see them because they got to deal with 900 million people and all this government-imposed paperwork, and they just want to get you in and out. 
and you know they don't they don't want to hear the shit that you think you know because they think that you don't know and they think that they do know and they're just they don't pay much attention it's not really in their financial interest and they believe it, it doesn't really help them help you any better so they'll they'll kind of nod at you but ultimately you have to take control but this is the kind of abuse you get when you go to a college and when you go to a uh a doctor at a college or the nurses at a college the health center at a college so they tell her oh you're, you're gonna freaking die oh I know you you may personally feel there's nothing wrong I'm telling you as a nurse and I've got training you're gonna die I can see it in you man I mean how is this this is not any different from a witch doctor shit she's not unhealthy how do you feel I, I feel okay is your breath going in and out your pee and poop going in and out well, what's the problem then? I, I, I guess I don't weigh enough for your chart. I'm, I'm really sorry about that. Please apologize personally to your chart for me. I'm, I'm horrified by that. Last thing I want to do is offend your freaking chart. It's very obnoxious, I know. But, you know, what can I tell you? I come from a long line of very skinny people. <laughs> but uh, anyway, anyway, so... All right, so uh, yeah, yeah, and then so so, um, so this fucking clown ass nurse is telling her your low weight's gonna kill. You can just see that happening too. Those people are such fucking shits. This is the type of people who work at college are fucking deformed mentally by the the very fact is is my opinion. All of them. Although she attempted to do as she was told and eat more, Chan only managed to gain two pounds. It's not easy to gain weight when you're that skinny the people I've known one or two people that skinny typically they're like older women and they just they don't they don't or can't eat much and you know as long as you're healthy and you have energy it doesn't matter you know and then and, and then and then so this issue this becomes an issue in the press because whatever reason it comes up and then and then they're all oh, oh Yale spokesman Tom Conroy said Friday the university was not allowed to discuss and then they pull that fucking card out amazing they're oh they're allowed to completely fuck with your life for no valid reason but then it becomes an actual issue in public the only way you can possibly fight back you know with with them threatening to throw you off campus and oh we can't talk about that well that's private I'm telling you, these people are not at all to be trusted. They will cover shit up. For all their being leftist, if there's rapes and stuff like that, they will cover that up in a heartbeat. They won't ever tell you what's actually going on. If, if it happens, like you send your daughter away someplace, she gets attacked or molested by somebody, they will not fucking tell you what's going on. That stuff happens repeatedly. And uh, they'll try to get it away from the real cops, and they'll try to... Uh, deal with them themselves with student reviews and uh it's just colleges are bad places so we are not even getting into these idiots who keep falling off balconies that's another big danger they don't tell you about at college but people who are not college level material which is basically 35 percent well no it's much more than that it's Let's do the math here and see if I'm college-level material. If 50% of traditionally college-aged people go to college, and college is for basically the top 10% and most 15% of the intellectual, 
the, the top 10% mentally, the people with the 10% highest mental ability, then how many people going to college are unqualified? I should be able to figure that out. Well, let's say we got a, okay, a million people. Could, let's, let's make figures and try to figure it out that way. Okay, a million people go to college. 10% of them, 100,000 of them are intellectually qualified for college, but there's 500,000 going to college. That would mean 80% of them are not qualified to be at college. And, and it's among those numbers that you find these people who are always falling off balconies and dying. The funniest thing was, it just happened to this chick in Arizona State and her boyfriend was on Facebook screaming at God for letting his greatest work yet die by falling off. It doesn't think very much of God, does he? I mean, God created the kind of creature that falls off a balcony. She's drunk and literally like laying on the balcony and, oh, there she goes. Guess what? If you're more than 20, 30 feet off the ground, you're probably not going to live. You know, why, why college kids even take dorms higher than the second floor? I don't know. Because if you're going to drink like a madman, which is the reason that most of this 80% goes to college, at least be on the ground floor. It's just good advice. I don't care who you are. Anyway, so let's see. So then they become all high hand. Oh, we're not we're, we're not allowed to discuss. Yale has a strong system of mental health care for students, Conroy said. Yeah, they got strong mental health care. Yeah, I don't know, Miss Chung, but Miss Chang, Miss Chan, whatever it is. You know what? But if you don't eat more, you're going to die. It's just that simple. I'm bottom lining it for you here. You're going to die. I don't even seem healthy. Quote unquote, I'm here to tell you as a medical worker, you're going to die. It's that simple. You're going to die. I know I'm going to die. We're all going to die. The question, when am I going to die? Don't get smart with me, Miss Chan. You listen to the advice of a trained medical professional. You start eating. I'm talking bananas, ice cream, Cheetos. You need to be going to the Cheesecake Factory at least two, three times. At least stuff in your face. You need to get some carbs in you. So otherwise you're gonna die. It's that simple. It's your choice, eat more or die, man. That's what I'm telling you. I'm not some clown dragged in off the street here to enter. I'm a medical professional. I'm telling you, you're gonna die. But I feel fine. It's not a, healthcare is not about how you feel. It's about what the chart says. Okay? Get that through your head. That's what we're here to do. You know, teaching in Yale doesn't end in the classroom. It carries on into the infirmary. Get your head straight. Scrawny, slant-eyed gook. I mean, can you imagine how intimidating that would be? I mean, you or I would be like, hey, why don't you go fuck yourself? Hey, I've got an invitation right here. It says, why don't you go fuck yourself? <laughs> you know, you or I would enjoy that. We'd enjoy the back and forth. We'd enjoy the... Uh, We'd enjoy, we'd, we'd play the, the David Lee Roth. I don't feel tardy. <laughs> Certainly one of the greatest, like, in-between lines ever in a, uh, in a song. <laughs> I don't feel tardy. <laughs> you know, get some new rules pronto, we'll just be bogus too. All right, so, so this poor gal, I mean, it's just one of these mild, shrimpy little orientals. She's probably studying something that actually takes brains as opposed to some liberal arts thing. So, uh. I, don't know, I was being harassed by these these goofball dickheads at the Yale Center for Advanced Mental Health. Yeah, mental health at Yale. Yeah, that's 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 a great combination. 
Mental health itself is a bogus concept. I hope you understand that. I'm not going to go into that today. I've gone into that probably other times. I will go into that in the future. It's dog psychiatry. I want to get a piece of that scam. That's what the late Sam Kinison used to say. And you can swap out the dog for man, and it's every bit as valid. Every bit. Mental health. Give me a break. Oh, they love that concept, though. And these people getting mental health help early, they wouldn't be killing people. Oh, you know how to fix people, huh? You talk to them and they become better. You rub something on them. How do, how do you do it? You give them these pills. So I've noticed a lot of these killers are on the pills that you say create mental health. How about that? Don't ever really talk about that, do you? That's consigned to all the alt conspiracy theorist people. All these shooters are on these these drugs. A hell of a lot of them are. I'm not saying it's a cause. I'm saying it's an interesting connection. Could bear some objective analysis and some looking into maybe. Oh, we got to spend all of our medical time harassing 92-pound Chinese chicks. Is that the world you... That's not the world we want to live in, really. All right, so... So this, uh, the basement. So this chick comes in do, committing no crime other than the crime of weighing under 93 pounds, which is a horrible crime in every civilized land. And they're basically like, we're going to kick you out of school and you're going to die. It's that simple. You know, and, and only you, you know, and like I said, I mean, these, these fucking doctors, man, the, these medical people, they will tell you anything. And especially they'll tell women anything because they know women will believe anything. Every single woman who's given birth in a hospital, oh my God, my little rat urchin was two inches from being strangled in his own umbilical cord because it was too short. Or otherwise the kid was exhausted to the point of death because the umbilical cord was too long and he was jumping rope with it. There's always some fucking thing that it, it really makes you wonder how humans were ever around for millions and millions of years without these fucking doctors. Uh, I mean, that's what people did in the old... They weren't fucking doctors. They just dropped the kid in the field where they were. You know? There were no doctors there to tell them how close they came to dying. They just somehow had babies and carried on. But today, no, no. Every fucking birth is, is, a, is a... Damn nuclear... Red level scare on the terrorism chart. That only this doctor and this advanced technology saved from the creation of some little botch monster. Yeah, of course, the minute the kid finally gets out of the, the mommy maw, why they, they grab it and race away and inject it with about 85 vaccines. Yeah, good luck fighting that, too. This is a fucked up world, I'm telling you. This is a fucked up world. <sighs> this story disgusts me, frankly. It's not really that I like scrawny Chinese chicks so much, but I fucking hate college administrators. They're all a bunch of tools. And these at Yale are the tooliest of all. Fucking yahoos. Imagine that. Imagine that. Yeah, I know you're paying 60000 a year to come to this piece of shit institution and learn some bogus liberal art, but you know what? If you don't get your weight up, we're going to give you the boot. And you're going to die. Kind of like a twofer there, baby. So go back and, yeah, I don't know, eat something. Manja, manja, you little bitch. 
I mean, this is what you get from the from from college, from the health center, from the mental health center at the top university in the country, or at least one of the top three: Yale, Harvard, right? Maybe Princeton. It's kind of crap they're feeding this girl. All right, so. And here you go. Here you go. All right. So this chick was taking shit, taking shit from these these freaking low level morons, but high low level, but high grade, high grade morons, real moron material, rich vein of moron running through the Yale Health Services Center. Anyway, so. So here's her fucking parents. Chance parents in New Jersey contacted Yale health officials to explain that she'd always been thin but healthy. Chance family also sent Yale her childhood medical records and had a family doctor contact Yale. Okay, so the family's like, shitheads, we are a skinny people. I mean, I'm surprised they weren't telling her like her eyes were too slanted or something or her face was too flat. According to our record, your nose too small to breathe. You are going to die in two or three days. You may feel you breathe okay. Our charts are otherwise. You know, I mean, it's ridiculous. So, so okay, so she goes in there. Oh, I, I feel fine. Uh, are, you, are you really sure I'm going to die? Really? Think so? You, you, you seen I did my blood work. Even my lump proved to be healthy. Benign, as they say. So I'm not really sure what the problem is. I mean, this is the thing. The Orientals do not have the instinct for mocking. Like, I would be sitting there, like, mocking them. I'd, and I'd do it subtly at first. You, you got to sometimes, in this life, you got to make people feel. This is more effective often than rational argument. Make them feel the ridiculousness of the situation. You draw it out of them. Not just by questioning the Socratic method. That's perfectly fair, but it's still a little, it's, excuse a tad rational. Excuse a tad mechanical. We want something a little more lubricated, you and me. We're like a little humor. He's like, well, gee, I don't know, nurse. How did my blood work? Are, are, are incipient signs of my death showing up in my blood work? Because I want to be very afraid. I want to be afraid as you seem to think I should be for myself because I care. I don't want to die. I'm loving this world. I know the daffodils are coming back. I want to be here to smell them, man, when they pop their yellow heads up. I'm yellow myself. I feel an affinity. You know, and going on in some vein like that, and you take these these nurses who are usually just slightly to the right in the bell curve of IQ ahead of a cow, you say, you just you go on like that. Well, I don't know, man. Dying sounds like a very terrible and tragic condition, and it's definitely something I want to avoid. We need to. I'm I'm totally down. I'm all up for working with you to avoid this terrible condition. What can we do to get? There's a great power in we people. Great power. All life comes from the soil. It emanates. Is that not the greatest ever? Anyway, so this chick could be there, like, well, okay, you you say I'm gonna die, <laughs> and since you're so fucking smart. <laughs> Remember that uh, David Spade and David Spade trying to locate the town and the map and the gas station and Tommy Boy. And you're really smart, so lay it on really thick because they're 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 sub MD medical people. They they need it laid on really thick. So you're like, you say I'm gonna die, and you're really smart. So if death's right around the corner, is it first gonna show up my triglycerides? That's a word I've heard. I don't actually know what it means, but it sounds good, doesn't it? 
say, or is it going to show up in my sodium levels? Or is it going to show up, and my toenails going to change color, which would be cool in other circumstances. But if it's health related, I want to know. Are the little white half moons under my fingernails going to disappear? What I'm needing from you is some signs that I'm actually going to die. And you could just go on and on and mock these people. Mock them, mock them, mock them. Do it subtly and then less subtly, less subtly, less subtly until they finally picked up on it that you were laughing at them and maybe you could get them to hate you or at least start to intimate the ridiculousness of the situation. Oh, here I could I could tell a little personal example, but uh, <laughs> my grandmother was a, uh, you know, ninety nine percent of the time I was very respectful to her, and she couldn't uh, hear though. So you know, even if I'd wanted to have a little fun with her, I couldn't have really done it because she couldn't hear too good. But she would prepare for every possible contingency, and just one time I kind of I kind of I'm like Grandma, she's like. We, we've been in this drought for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. A drought. There's no rain. That's what everyone's... She's like, what if it starts raining? And then the cave floods. The cave is where you keep, like, put up jars of vegetables and stuff and where you it's built so that in the Midwest you can go in there to avoid a tornado. I'm like, oh, and, and I just let her have just a tiny touch. I'm like, I don't know, you know, if it ever starts raining again, then I'll run down there and I think that... that I think we can handle it. I'm like, Grandma, we got to... We got to be the kind of people that, you know what, if something that terrible, she was planning for contingencies upon contingencies upon. At some point, you got to just rely on, like, look, as my ex-girlfriend's father said, it's not a problem if there's a solution. And you got to kind of have that, like, cool, like, you know what, we got it within our capacity to handle pretty goddamn much whatever happens to us. And we don't, we didn't used to be a nation of people who were fucking frightened by people wearing, not wearing helmets when they went out to ride on a bike. We used to be known actually in America. And this is what I'm not going to do it because I've already been talking long enough and I got this stuff I'll talk about later, but the other stories, but we used to be a self-reliant people. We used to be known for that, for self-reliance. We had all these little colonies that grew up and they were in a sense contiguous but in a sense not really contiguous because although the lines on the map were touching reality was there weren't many any phones and there weren't many roads and they weren't good quality roads and there were lots of Indians and wild animals in between so the people grew up differently in, in disparate little communities and sects and, and sets of sets of tribes and, and and people and they developed their own ways and they relied on themselves and somehow they found a way to get the job done and that was what America as a whole, this, this new country, came to be known for, self-reliance. But now we've all become social. No, who's going to pay for my health care? Who's going to pay for my education? Who's going to pay for my electric bill? And all the rest of it is social Democrat whining and, and basically parasitical, pathetic. And, you know, my point is, in relation to this broad story, you have to be a force for all the good things in the world. You have to be, you know, that's a, it's a Gandhi thing, but I've said it a million times myself. You got to be the change you want. And if you want people to be totally cowed and, oh my God, a medical professional with an actual RN degree says I'm going to die if I don't gain some weight. If you think that's dumb and absurd, it's not your duty just to oppose it. 
It's your duty to oppose it artistically, aesthetically. Use some mocking, use some juice, man. That's what people are alive for. Being alive is not a textbook exercise. It's not a grim duty. It's something you try to get some joy and some fun out of. Create some good things. Give these medical people something to think about. Give them a little different perspective. They're used to going high-low. Maybe you go a little higher and you go down low to them. Maybe you give them a funny little look. Maybe an insinuating leer wouldn't be out of place. You know what I'm saying? You got you got to you got to you got to have some fun with this. And they and they are fine. Oh, yeah, and you know these people are oh they're all they're all long-faced and serious. Oh, yeah, I'm going to die, am I? It doesn't show up. So on your one chart, it says I don't weigh enough. But yet on your other chart that has all of my blood work and my lump work, it says there's nothing wrong. So what I see here is we have like a dueling banjo situation, except it's dueling chartos. So now I'm really wondering why you're, you're, you're privileging, okay, privileging. That's a big word. You got to use the kind of, use their own language. They're familiar with, they understand and use it against them and it'll trouble them. It will rasp their tiny brains. Say, well, you're, you're, why are you privileging the body mass chart over the blood work chart? Seems a little biased. Mm-hmm. Now you tell me, sister, how many measurements are there on the body mass chart? If I'm not mistaken, I'm very good at math. I major in chemistry. There's a lot of math involved. There's only one measurement there. There's one ratio there. But yet when I look at my blood work, you're testing me for 25 different times. So what I'm saying here is I'm thinking the blood work might outweigh the BMX, the BMI, the BMW, the whatever the hell it is chart. What do you think about that? Does that sound right to you? Now, that's how I would play it. Now, they, now they, these are cow folk, coo folk. So I like to think of them. Typically, they're, they're fattish women who are thickish of mind, and they don't really understand this kind of they can kind of spiritually you can kind of communicate to them a little bit through tone but they're not super flexible mentally but you gotta you gotta kind of play with them i'm gonna die and that's you know what that's news i can use i'm going home and i'm gonna jump on the eclairs with both feet and it's gonna squirt that white delicious filling into the air and i'm gonna eat it i'm gonna eat as much as my 92 pound frame can contain and I'll come back tomorrow and I'll eat more. I'll do it over all again. You know, and you got to play with them and get them to feel sometimes. You got to get people to feel the ridiculousness of something. I know you can do what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. Sometimes you can do it just with looks, you know. Words may be superfluous. You can do it with some, oh, yes, yes, oh, some very un dying sounds very serious to me I, I definitely don't want to die can you can you write down some food items on a piece of paper that maybe I should uh, rush off to the store and buy <laughs> anyway so it's something we need to bring attention to Chan said I don't want to get kicked out of school but so far no one has been willing to stand up for me hmm how can I totally see that nah it's funny, she wrote, she wrote an essay about her experience for the Huffington Post. As a result of that piece, she began to hear from others who'd been through the same thing. 
Now, this is funny. Now, now Yale, what is Yale? Yale's one of our... It's an Ivy League school. It's one of our top two or three intellectual schools in the country, if you believe that sort of thing, those sort of listings. And what do we know about public schools? We know that the teachers in public schools are made at their teacher's college where the education majors go into change agents meant to bring about the new world order. And they're taught to cope with any disagreement by telling parents, oh, well, you're the only one complaining. Everybody else is perfectly compliant and on board with what we're teaching little Susie. You're the only one. And they play on the social fears, particularly of women that, oh my God, Americans being cowards, oh my God, I'm going to stand out. I, I'm not a team player. I, I'm saying something that other people aren't saying. I'm, I'm, oh no, I'm in danger. And that that we well, didn't used to be gutless like that, but apparently some at some point it kicked in, and now we're all servile and scared like that. But I'm saying that even at Yale, there's probably an element of that where they're like, "Well, you're the only one who's ever complained about the body weight index. For everyone else, it's perfectly functional." So when I say you're going to die, you need to just die already because I don't like to be wrong, and frankly, I'm not really ever wrong. No, so there's a little of that going on. I guarantee you, they're they're tr they're trying to intimidate her a little bit. I guarantee, because she's small, and you know, a lot of Asians are kind of they're not super aggressive or standing up for themselves. You can you can you can picture the situation pretty easily. Probably the fat heifer like RN probably leaned into her a bit, was really getting not getting in her face, but just getting a little you know, little weight shifty with her. If I had to guess. And we've all dealt with this kind of woman to some extent. I mean, the the health professional. And so she's written uh, she's written to her the, even the president of Yale, Peter Solovi, who I've not heard of before. At Yale, you're taught to be the change that you want to see in the world. Chan said, "Well, this seems like an easy thing to change." On Friday, she learned just how easy. Chan said her new physician acknowledged that BMI was not the only significant measure of proper health. So she trusts that I do not have an eating disorder and admitted that we made a mistake, Chance said, which is all she probably wanted in the first place. Well, think about that. And that's really about what I had to say about that. But I mean, how amazing that you can go in there and these people have don't have excessive respect, have excessive respect for genuine, valid learning. And the way that you know that something is true is you keep testing it against reality. You keep looking for a better explanation. And if you keep not getting it, it keeps verifying. It keeps coming back to you solid. Then you have to treat it as real until something better comes along. Refute all metaphysical systems thusly, said Dr. Johnson, kicking the rock. You know, you may, or Philip Dick put it a different way. Reality is that which continues to exist when you stop believing it. Reality is that which doesn't go away when you stop believing in it. That was what Philip Dick, the short story writer, said. Basically saying, look, objective reality. And he's a science fiction writer who had was given to uh, extreme mental states. And he's confirming that reality exists. And it does exist. And if you try to block it out or occlude it or replace it in your mind, you will only damage yourself and those around you. And that's largely what WASP uh, elite liberalism is. It's it's self-serving yet world damaging. And it's it's very definitely cultic. And VNN readers of all people should not place great faith in degrees or professionals or authority of any kind. Authority has to prove itself, just like at a chess tournament. 
you have to prove yourself on the board. You have to beat someone. You have to prove by your own merit that you're that you justify your position. It's not place. It's not custom. It's not. I'm I'm more anti-traditional in that regard. And so, let's leave it there for today. We covered a fair amount of ground. My God, it's an hour thirty. Five, so this will be about hour 40. Maybe I'll look for another little song to play for us to play us out. We already played the Scandal song. What's another good song we could play? What do we want to hear today? All right, well, we'll play us out with the old Negro spiritual. And I think you may remember this one. The slaves used to sing this out in the cotton fields. And with this, we'll conclude. I'll be back by next Wednesday at the latest. I may even do one before that if I feel like it. I got some writing and reading I got to do first. But uh, I want to thank you for listening today. This is show number four, recorded April 9th, 2014. We discussed Pat Buchanan and the 92-pound Chan girl at Yale and some other good things. We, we had a good time. And... Uh, Join me in my forum at vnnforum.com. Follow me on Twitter at alexlender5 at uh, Twitter. And just in relation to our subject of doubting and not placing over much faith in authority, we're going to close with NWA's Fuck the Police. Right about now, NWA court is in full effect. Judge Gray resigning. In the case of NWA versus the police department, prosecuting attorneys are MC Red, Ice Cube, and Easy Motherfucking E. Order, order, order. Ice Cube, take the motherfucking stand. Do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help your black ass? You goddamn right. Won't you tell everybody what the fuck you gotta say? Coming straight from the underground A young nigga got it bad cause I'm brown And not the other color so police think They have the authority to kill a minority Fuck that shit cause I ain't the one For a punk motherfucker with a badge and a gun to be beaten on And thrown in jail We can go toe to toe in the middle of a cell Fucking with me cause I'm a teenager With a little bit of gold and a pager Searching my car, looking for the product Every nigga is selling narcotics. You rather see me in the pen than me and Lorenzo rolling in a benzo. Be the police out of shape, and when I finish, bring the yellow tape to take off the scene of the slaughter. Still getting swole of bread and water. I don't know if they fags or what. Search a nigga down and grabbing his nuts. And on the other hand, without a gun, it can't get none. But don't let it be a black and a white one. Cause they'll slam you down to the street top. Police showing out for the white cop. Ice Cube will swarm on any motherfucker in a blue uniform. Just cause I'm from the CPT, punk police are afraid of me. Huh? A young nigga on the warpath. And when I finish, it's gonna be a bloodbath of cops dying in LA. Yo, Dre, I got something to say. Shit, you know what the fuck you put me up for? Cause I feel like, like sit down so the curb and shut the fuck up, man, fuck
MC Ren, will you please give your testimony to the jury about this fucked up incident? Fuck the police and Ren said it with authority. Because the niggas on the street is a majority of gang. It's with whoever I'm stepping. And a motherfucking weapon is kept in a stash box for the so-called law. Wishing Ren was a nigga that they never saw. Lights start flashing behind me. But they're scared of a nigga, so they makes me to blind me. But that shit don't work, I just laugh. Because it gives them a hit. Not to step in my path, but police, I'm saying, fuck you, punk. Read my rights and shit. It's all junk. Pulling out a silly club, so you stand with a fake ass badge and a gun in your hand. But take off the gun so you can see what's up. And we'll go at it, punk, and I'ma fuck you up. Make you think I'ma kick your ass. But drop your gas, and red's gonna blast. I'm sneaky as fuck when it comes to crime. But I'ma smoke them now and not next time. Smoke any motherfucker that sweats me. Any asshole that threatens me. I'm a sniper with a hell of a scope. Taking out a cop or two. They can't cope with me. The motherfucking feeling that's mad. With potential to get bad as fuck. So I'ma turn it around. Put in my clip. Yo, and this is the sound. Yeah, something like that, but it all depends on the size of the gap. Taking out the police will make my day, but a nigga like Red don't give a fuck to say. Fuck the police. Fuck the police. Fuck the police. Fuck the police. Yeah, man, what you need? Police, open out. We have a warrant for these arrests. Get out. Put your hands behind my feet. I'm going to fuck you out of here.